This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to The Lunch Show with me, Samuel Lickis, where today I will be talking to Ben Hobbis about classroom observations. What should trainees be looking out for when observing other teachers? How should experienced teachers give feedback? How can we mutually benefit from one another's experiences? Send me your questions and get the answers today on Teachers Talk Radio. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. I have to admit this week has been quite hard. Um, it's been a significant ramp up in difficulty for me as I've got my full time timetable now and I've taken over some tricky classes. And I came back home on Thursday evening having taught an absolutely awful lesson, uh, period six. And the whole thing felt like a complete disaster. And it was especially because of the behavior side of things. Um, but I spoke to my mentor afterwards and he reassured me that there were lots of good things to comment on that... Um, and, you know, that the, he even said that my behavior management was quite good. And one of the things he said to me was that my most challenging classes were the ones that would teach me the most and help me grow most as a teacher. And um, I think one of the massive challenges as a trainee teacher is that you're kept under this microscope. Uh, we're, we're there to learn. And in order to learn, we need to listen to the feedback given to us by other teachers. And that's really useful, of course. Um, but however, it can sometimes feel like we're being appraised every second of every day. And after a full day or a full week of lessons, that can be quite draining, especially if trainees are constantly hearing that things aren't necessarily going well, or even if it doesn't feel like it's going well. So to just discuss things all, all things observations, I'm really excited to introduce my guest for today, Ben Hobbis. Ben wears many hats as a primary school teacher, middle leader, deputy safeguarding lead, and he He's also a student mentor who founded the EdConnect and Step Up Networks for early career teachers and those looking to make the move into leadership roles. Ben, I really appreciate you joining me this week. How has your week been? Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, it's been quite good. I'm, I think the school lurgy has caught me a little bit, so I do apologise if I cough or anything at all. Uh, but no, it's been a very positive week for no, I can, I can fully appreciate the school lurking. I've just noticed I've got a bit of a twang in my throat as well. And um, I was at university yesterday and some of the other trainees all um, constantly having to sneeze and like, stay away from me because I don't want your cold. But yeah, it's the germ factory, isn't it, in schools? Yeah, do you, have any you do of... build up a good immune system. You've got to give yourself that. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any sort of top tips for... Um, trying especially you working in a primary school like imagine it's especially challenging trying to just sort of keep yourself good and healthy do you have any tips for that yeah well i mean yeah primary school children um don't really know much about uh, personal space especially the younger ones um i think sometimes it's just about making sure that you're well hydrated and get yourself out uh, even when you're not feeling ill like you know do things for you and to keep yourself well and eat well and remember to eat and to go to the toilet all those things that tend to be things that teachers don't do mm, yeah it's, it, 
I think I, I quite often remember, well, completely forget rather, to drink any water during the day. And I bring my water bottle, but because I'm constantly moving between classrooms, I just it just ends up staying in the office and I forget about it. And then I get to the end of the day and my voice sounds like sandpaper because I'm so dehydrated. But I do need to remember to um, drink more, I think. And that's, that's uh, and not try and be a camel and just take it all in all at once because it's just going to, um, yeah, that's not good either. For, so, no, good tips. I think one of the things that I'm trying to when it trying to sort of keep in mind when I'm as a trainee teacher and that I'm being observed in every lesson that I'm teaching is that so are our students they are also being observed all day every day by lots of different teachers and we have that responsibility to teach them monitor their progress help them grow as people so I think in that sense being a trainee is good for developing that empathy with students and I've been thinking about that difficult class that I had period six on Thursday. And I appreciate that for many of the students there, they would have been really tired, uh, cognitively overloaded, and perhaps even beyond the point of caring. Uh, so so for you as a, an experienced teacher, how, how would you approach that, particularly if those afternoon lessons, those towards the end of the week, um, especially if it's really hot or really wet or something like that, when students just don't want to be there yeah i suppose that it's an interesting question because um obviously in in a primary school setting in the afternoons in particular we tend to teach the wider curriculum beyond the core subjects and and we'll do things that are probably a bit more practical for some children who um can't access the core subjects as well as those who can they they some of them thrive in the afternoons um, whereas I suppose if you're a secondary secondary or beyond, you're teaching the same subject. And, you know, I remember in my, when I was in year seven um, at secondary school, well over 10 years ago now, that um, my last lesson in year seven on period five on a Friday was maths. And I, I didn't really like maths when I was at school. And it was my worst nightmare to finish my Friday afternoon off with maths. Um, I think it's just making sure you account for that in, in your planning um, and making sure that you're very um you give yourself the leeway in those lessons so you probably don't want i mean you should never overload a lesson anyway with lots of activities like you said because of cognitive overload and things like that but we probably want to make sure that our uh, students and children have um have all that taken into account and but it still means that your expectations are just as high as they are for the rest of the week um and not just thinking oh because it's friday afternoon i'm not going to get much done so i'll um I'll, I'll just let things go kind of thing it's really important that um we we maintain those high expectations throughout as well and just to make it fun and that, that they look forward to those those lessons as well i think it's really important I think that's really good advice, and it's it's saying, you know, we 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 can anticipate that in the afternoon, end of the week, when sort of tiredness and start settling, and that that will have an impact, but we can accommodate for that. Thinking about how we're going to plan the lesson, how we're going to structure that lesson to sort of ameliorate or perhaps mitigate some of that effect, and still maintain those high expectations that we need to have, and and actually that teachers need to have for themselves as well, because we can't sort of you know we can't take our foot off the gas just because it's a friday you know or every hour of learning in the school day is is valuable and and just as important as each other i think yeah yeah definitely totally agree so i think for many trainees at this point in the year they'll be perhaps doing some starters 
uh, or some plenaries, perhaps co-teaching a lesson with their mentor or other teachers. Some may be doing full lessons and some may still just be observing. So perhaps at different stages, but doing a combination of some teaching and observing. So I think just to start us off for today, if you're observing a lesson as a trainee teacher at this part time of the year, sort of still, still in September, beginning of October, what should trainees be looking out for? I think at the moment, um, and like we're finding this in, in sort of my school at the moment, is you'll, even though we're four weeks in next week, be week five, I know it might be a bit longer for, for others, but teachers are still setting routines up and still developing relationships with children with, with, with classes. So you might find that as a trainee teacher, if you're now in school already, that your some of your teachers might be struggling with some routines or some relationships or some behaviours. And they'll be quite honest with that. And actually, I think one of the things that trainees definitely should do when they're training alongside a teacher is watch the teacher and watch what strategies work um, really well for that class. What do the class really respond to um, or classes respond to? And then duplicate that because that's what the children are used to rather than having a brand another individual with brand new ideas in some cases you might need to implement some things that you want in your lessons and that's absolutely fine because you should also have a bit of flexibility and autonomy as well as a trainee um it's also about giving the children that consistency and sometimes consistency is just mirroring um the teacher so for example like in my very first training placement the way I would stop a class to get their attention was in the exact same way as the class teacher. So that the children knew that I expected what he expected and it was exactly the same. And I've done that sort of throughout my my teacher training. Then when you get your own class or classes, it's very different then because you set that, that precedence of, of what your expectations are. Um, and looking at how the teachers introduce that um, so like one of the things I think is really beneficial, which I didn't have when I was training, which I've used since I've qualified, are the walkthroughs books and particularly the first walkthroughs book. Um, so the yellow, the one with the yellow cover, it really teaches you how to introduce routines and relationships with classes um, and with children. So I think that's something that should be you should that trainees should be looking at now. There might be some things that teachers try, like the teachers you're alongside, your mentors, that doesn't work and they might even admit to that. Um, and so that's where you can be quite um you can be then creative and you do your own thing if you like that but try things out that work and if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter, try something else. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, that's it. So it's a good book recommendation there. And I think perhaps actually looking for a book that suits you, um, whether it's that one or some other book that sort of talks about those sorts of things, perhaps giving a sort of checklist that you can go through to think about, has the teacher done this, that or the other? I really like that you mentioned, um, that, yeah, sort of adopting the same sort of routines as the teacher's got. Particularly for younger year groups, whether it's in key stage three or in primary school, Having that, having a new teacher just sort of airdropped into the lesson all of a sudden can be quite, it's going to be, it's going to be a big transition for them, isn't it? And I think actually trying to make it as smooth for those students as possible is, 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 is really important for both you as a trainee teacher or me as a trainee teacher, being able to get the most out of those students, but also 
for the students to actually warm up to me as well and just help to develop those relationships because they don't see me as some scary new individual who's just um, going to try all these funky new things on day one, but actually has that continuity with their teacher that they already know. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. And I mean, I mentored a student last year uh, with my class and they started quite early with me. They were um, like a third year um, university student on a primary school educa- primary education programme. And they started like at the very beginning of October. It might have even been the end of September. And the class I'd got, I'd actually taught before. Um, so I taught them when I first started at the school just after lockdown. So I knew them fairly well. Um, but obviously they'd had another teacher for a year and I, I had a d- different style to that teacher and so on, needed to rebuild that relationship for routines. And in the class as well, because there was um, a high level of pupil premium and ascend, we also had a, um, another a supply teacher who used to help in the mornings and we'd split the class down. So they were getting, u- they knew me, they were getting used to this other supply teacher and then I had a student teacher as well. And they actually struggled quite a bit in terms of, um, having potentially three different people and then throw the teaching assistant in four different people mm. that they're trying to get to know. And whilst we would all mirror the same expectations, it's all slightly, it's all a little bit different. And you'll find that with children that it shouldn't be the case. But in some cases, children might have a different level of relationship and maybe to a certain extent respect for their class teacher that, or their or their form tutor or a teacher they know really well or a senior member of staff than they do with other members of staff as well. And so that's something that is also, which at a secondary level is something to consider if, you know, and a child, a student, sorry, has, you know, spoke been taught by five different individuals in one day and then also had a tutorial period by another person that's six different adults they're interacting with who whilst they'll implement like the same behavior policies and the same practices across a school probably all have their own unique style um and so it can be quite a lot for children and quite overwhelming so it's about how can we do that to the point where it's consistent but effective but also uh, allows each teacher to have their own bit of autonomy as well. Ben, thank you for all that. That's all really good. We're going to pick up some of those points uh, just after our break for the news. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. Adapt. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The BBC covers reports that Labour has dropped plans to end charitable status for private schools. The status exempts some private schools in England and Wales from taxes. 
The Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, had previously said charitable status for private schools could not be justified. The party said it will still remove other tax breaks if it wins the next general election. There are around 2,500 private schools in England and Wales, and government figures show around half are registered as charities. Having charitable status means the schools cannot operate for profit and are eligible to claim some tax exemptions, including on donations and business rates. Since 2006, private schools have had to demonstrate they are creating public benefit in order to maintain their charitable status. Labour has said it would charge private schools 20% VAT and end business rates relief. It says this could raise an estimated £1.7 billion. A party spokesperson said the money would fund desperately needed teachers and mental health counselling in every secondary school. Last year, the Scottish Government scrapped business rate relief for private schools. The Conservatives have questioned whether tax changes would raise the £1.7 billion as claimed by Labour. The problem of RAC was highlighted again as parents with children at a secondary school in Durham, affected by the potentially unsafe concrete, staged a protest. Parents told Schools Minister Baroness Barron, who was visiting the school, that there had to be more support for the teachers and pupils and that the school must be rebuilt. The school is using a mix of face-to-face -face and online teaching after RAC was found shortly before the return to school from the summer break. The multi-academy trust in charge of the school has asked the DfE if it could use centre-assessed grades for GCSE and A-level pupils, similar to the way assessment was used during the pandemic. A DfE spokesman said it was working to bring back face-to-face -face teaching quickly and that the school would be rebuilt. Procurement, design and planning stages would be started before the end of the year. Schools Week reports on MPs' comments that government should create a school absence code specifically for mental health and review the adequacy of health services struggling with soaring waiting lists. The Parliamentary Education Committee has also urged the government to make its daily attendance data collection mandatory as soon as possible. The committee found growing demand for mental health services and special educational needs support, as well as the cost of living pressures and other issues, have compounded problems with attendance. However, Schools Minister Nick Gibbs said changes would add further complications for schools in coding absence, which could damage the accuracy of data. Full details of the committee's recommendations can be found in the article in Schools Week Online. The Guardian covers news that in America, students at more than 50 high schools across the country are proposing a Green New Deal for schools. They are demanding that their districts teach climate justice, create pathways to green jobs and plan for climate disasters. The campaign is seen as a reaction to right-wing efforts to ban or suppress climate education and activism at school. The national effort would see teach-ins, walkouts and petitions. The New Deal also calls for updated buildings and infrastructure to make schools more climate resilient. Further details can be found on the Guardian website. Finally, the Nuffield Trust has said that student loans in England should be written off for certain health staff once they have completed 10 years of NHS service. It says this is needed to stop a dropout crisis among nurses, midwives and other frontline staff. Ministers have rejected the idea, saying support is already in place 
and that the current student finance system strikes the right balance between the interests of students and taxpayers, as well as highlighting training grants, support for childcare and some expenses. Tuition fees are not charged in Scotland, and in Wales, tuition fees are covered if nurses and other frontline staff work for the NHS for two years. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Welcome back to the show. Just before um, the news, we were talking about what should be the first things that trainee teachers should be looking for in when observing more experienced teachers. And Ben, you mentioned um, mainly focusing on those routines because we're still quite early on in the year. Teachers will still be establishing those routines with their classes, what they expect students to be doing in the first few minutes of the lesson, what how they introduce different tasks, what the end of the lesson looks like. And that there, were, there may be some school-wide routines, but the teachers will certainly have their own sort of um, own, own expectations of the class. And so for you, as a, for me as a trainee, when I'm looking at these routines and I'm thinking, yeah, I really like that one, but that's just not going to work with me because I don't have that same sort of personality as that teacher and, and I'd like to do some things a little bit differently. How might I approach that when I start to take over being able to sort of put my own stamp on it? Because you mentioned teacher autonomy, and I think that's an important thing about developing your own style. So I'm just wondering how best into our practice. Yeah, I think it's really important that you, especially as a trainee, you you do have a bit of autonomy and creativity because whilst you are training and learning, you're also sort of like going through like a 12-week job interview in a way not like the apprentice but you know on that sort of length of time of the apprentice but um you know a school might be looking for a new you know science teacher or primary school teacher or you know geography teacher and actually if you do a really good job you know you you're you're sort of not necessarily guaranteed a job but you, you might be guaranteed an interview based on what you do so it's really important to actually look at like you know approach lessons in creative ways and that doesn't mean that and that doesn't mean that every lesson has to be like this absolutely amazing lesson where you know you recreate Narnia in your classroom you know it, it, yeah. you know it, it you want to have that element of creativity and fun but it's also about making sure that high quality learning go, goes on in there and actually some of the best lessons are the ones that you keep incredibly simple but they can also be the the most fun lessons as well. And I think a lot of it can be things like when you're approaching a topic that you think is going to be particularly difficult in terms of that it might be a concept that the children um, or students struggle to understand or, you know, might be notoriously hard. It could be a topic that you think might be a little bit boring, but you're going to have to teach anyway. It might be a topic that you're not very knowledgeable on and that you have to educate yourself or equally it could be something that you're really confident on and you've you've taught before and you've taught quite a lot of times so i think the main thing is to decide well what area do you what what area are you really strong at in terms of your delivery and play to that strength but also plan lessons and design lessons and design activities and tasks that also allow you to stretch yourself and address the areas that you're not as confident in. So it might be that you're 
not as confident uh, adapting your teaching for children who are more able and gifted and talented. So you, you design an activity, you reflect on that, and then you ask your mentor, whoever's in the room with you, to keep an eye on that. But I think it's really important that you don't just pick up lessons that other people have planned. And yes, you will do that as a teacher. There'll be things that you, you pick up that others have planned and resourced, but you'll all do it, deliver it in a slightly different way. So a lot of it comes down to the actual delivery and being yourself, your authentic self in the classroom as well. And showcasing that to not just the, your mentor who's in the room, but also the, the staff, as, uh, the, the children as well and students. Yeah, absolutely. All really good advice. And I think... You sort of mentioned you don't need your classroom to become nani, and it's just I think that raised the expectations far too much for a, well for anybody for the children who you're teaching, but also yourself because you're not going to be able to maintain that at all, are you? And I think um yeah, it's talking about the solid lessons, thinking about really good solid pedagogy, and keep it simple, stupid, almost, isn't it? Sometimes like yes, you want things to be creative and fun, but also you do need it to be productive and. That, that's going to be really important in observing how how we observe other teachers. What are they doing to keep a lesson engaging, particularly if it's a topic that's challenging or notoriously difficult? How how are they um, how are they communicating that to the children or the students, and how are the children responding to that and accommodating sort of different levels of learning? Um, something you mentioned also just before our break was you had a class that had something like five adults. I think you said. And so as the teaching assistant, there's the trainee, there's also a supply teacher plus yourself. And that that's obviously that's obviously really um, unusual in a primary setting. But you also mentioned that the children responded quite differently to different adults in the room. And I think that's something I experienced um, this week where I had this really tricky class on a Thursday afternoon. Now, I had observed them before. I knew that they were quite a chatty... Um, class I knew that they were quite um, there was certainly going to be some individuals that needed quite sort of careful managing so I was ready for that I was prepared for that but of course when I started teaching them it wasn't a case of they were a little bit chatty it was it was beyond that and they certainly didn't have that um, sort of level of rapport or relationship or even respect for me that they had for their regular teacher so I was sort of curious as to how you might go and establish that level of respect because it's all very well observing another teacher who's already got that pre-established relationship and you can take as many notes as you like and then think I'm going to try doing that and then it just doesn't work because you haven't got that same rapport with those students so how, how would you approach that? I think, um, and I, I've experienced that as well, like I um, recently in the last academic year moved school mid-year and I did a job, my my role initially was um, as like an additional teacher across the school, so I used to teach in year six in the mornings and then I did a PPA cover in the afternoons and then after SATs and after writing moderation I went to being pure, pretty much a supply teacher covering across the school and it was really eye-opening how classes respond to you um so like the year sixes class classes whenever i used to cover them um they were absolutely fine they knew who i was they knew the expectations and every time i then went and covered a class i felt like oh i'm starting again where i have to set those expectations again and actually i don't necessarily know what the te the teacher who usually has them I don't know what they're like, what their teacher persona is like with that class. And it actually was a really good developmental tool, but in terms of behavior management. And now this year, now that I'm a class teacher in the same school, 
Um, it, it means I know a lot of the children. I've developed a, a slight relationship with, with a lot of the children, but and they know who I am. And I think one thing you have to do is, first of all, before you do anything, before you've even started that lesson, is you need to set your expectations for the lesson. For, and actually, not just the expectations for that lesson, but every lesson that you do with the, with um, children and with um, young adults. And even if that means that every lesson with a really difficult class, you have to go back to those expectations, that's what you do. And actually, one thing that I remember I used to do in my ECT year, and before I was a before uh, before that I was an unqualified teacher was in some cases if I had a really difficult lesson I would just plow on rather than actually trying to address the behaviour and I realised I was making it even harder for myself because I wasn't fulfilling those expectations and in some cases if you don't get the whole lesson done it doesn't matter you have to just go through and set those expectations following that behaviour policy and I think in terms of trainee teachers and early career teachers if you feel that you know a class's behavior is getting worse or you're, you're struggling actually ask for that help because it's better to do that than actually then come and have your observation and your feedback to be oh the behavior was quite poor in that class or like the the, the behavior wasn't managed very well um and i think it's one area you have to really hone in on really early on so i remember back to my training journey my first class they were lovely. It was in a very deprived area, a very, very deprived area. And um, they were, there was two very different classes in the year group I was in. The one was much quieter and calmer and our one was a bit more louder and chattier, but they were lovely. Um, and you just had to really set the expectations really high and be quite firm in some cases. And then my second placement, I had a class who... Um, had a job share and the teachers um, were both brilliant teachers but they both managed behavior a little bit differently and so it was interesting then to have another person i.e me managing that behavior as well so i think it's really important to set those expectations set that respect and and sort of look around because it's really easy to say oh they're all doing it they're all talking they're all misbehaving when actually if you look at it and you analyze it and look back it's actually only a couple of children um, or a couple of um, students. And I think sometimes the best thing to do, which is what I did, is I actually got our pastoral behaviour lead when I was in my NQT year to, to come into my class, observe, but I said, I don't want you to observe me. I want you to observe the children and let me know who you notice. And in some cases, she picked out the children who I knew she was going to say, but there was other children who she said, who weren't even on my radar, that they were getting really distracted. They were fidgeting. They weren't actually productive in the lesson. So I think sometimes it has to be an element of reflecting and ownership, but also really setting those high expectations as well. Thank you. Yeah, th there's so many points in there. And and you sort of touched on the other things that I wanted to talk about on this on this show. Um, now, I, I had a um, teach training placement this time last year, so I took a break from the course and I've come back to it now. So I have done a term already. And something you said there is when you had the pastoral lead come in and observing other students, that, that was something that I did ask my mentor in my last school to do for me with, with one of my trickier classes was, could, could you just look at the students? What What's going on with the behavior? How can I figure out the dynamics of this lesson? And she... Um, got the seating plan and she marked on there like this student's doing that the students that and with timestamps as well so where in the lesson were things starting to go wrong or where was it unraveling 
And that was really useful feedback. So I would encourage other trainees to do that. Actually, just ask their mentors or whoever happens to be observing them. You know, this lesson perhaps focus more on the students because that is actually going to be a reflection on my practice as well. Because sometimes it's going to be maybe it was my pacing that was really off, and therefore concentration was starting to wander, and and that's when I started to lose the class or something like that. So they're still observing me, just sort of indirectly, and I think that that's a really good tip. Yeah, no, yes. Yeah, so, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. definitely. And I think, and I think that can go for anything in terms of behaviour, and not just behaviour. Sorry, is in any element of your practice. Like, if you can really own what you know you're struggling with or you're finding particularly difficult, then it shows that you're being really proactive, and and it's not as much of a shock that you know if you get that in an observation feedback, and it then gives you a target that you can work towards. Um, and I, yeah, I think it's just re- a really useful thing to do. I also did it for when um, it wasn't a behaviour thing, but I'd said, and it was in the same school, it was in my NQT, ECT year, um, that um, I, I found maths much uh, much more of a struggle to teach than English. And I found that my class were weaker in maths than they were in English. I myself preferred English to maths. I preferred teaching it, preferred planning it. And our deputy head at the time was the maths lead, a very experienced maths lead. And I said, um, "Could I?" what I actually asked her for was, I said, could you come and model a lesson for me, a maths lesson? And she said, well, why don't I observe you teaching a maths lesson so I can see what are your strengths? Because you're beating, she said, she actually said, you're beating yourself up and you're being really hard on yourself at the moment about your maths teaching. Um, because she said, looking in your books, I think the children are, are really strong where they are. Um, but and obviously for context this was just around the time this was in during covid and just after covid so obviously there was loads of gaps that children had and um, she said well let me you teach lesson I'll observe it I'll look at what your strengths are and what what your areas for development are and then what I'll do is I will plan a maths lesson and teach it in your class you will observe me and I will address your areas of development in that lesson so Mm. for example one of the things she said was actually the all the activities were fine. She said the activities were fine. She said where I was a little bit weak was in some cases in some elements of my modelling. So she said my modelling on the whole was really good. I did an I do, we do, you do approach. But actually I modelled three very different um, concepts. Uh, like it was the same area of maths, but the way I modelled it and the representations I used were three different representations, which got a little bit confusing for the children. And then she said, and during the assessment, when the children were on their independent task, I was sort of panicking a little bit because I could see certain children hadn't understood it. And I was basically trying to firefight. And she then modelled in the lesson the way to model a maths concept. And then also she modelled assessment for learning. And what she did was in the lesson is she narrated it for me. So she'd set the children off on a task and then she'd say, right, Ben, I'm now doing, what I'm doing now is I'm lapping the room. I'm going to lap for about three minutes. I'm letting the children, I'm not going to interject with any children unless they ask me a question. And this is where I can see, well, do I need to regroup anyone? And it was really useful. And then I did the same, even though I didn't find it as much of a struggle, but because it was so useful, in the same school at the time, our assistant head teacher who was leading English, I said, could you do the same but for an English lesson? And we did the exact same thing and it worked really, really well. And I did it again for a third time with science with our head teacher who taught a science lesson. 
So it's not just good for behaviour, it's good for lots of areas as well. I realise that was a really long answer to a question, sorry. No, no, that's great. And that, that detail is is really useful because there was, there was so much in that answer. And I think that that is the power of being able to observe the other teachers, isn't it? And have other teachers observe you because it is a, a learning opportunity, and particularly in primary, where you know, you said that maths was not, you weren't as comfortable with maths as you were with English. And so that modelling aspect for you, being able to sort of better learn how to model, how to roam the room, that assessment for learning as well, that was a useful skill for you to develop. And I think that that's going to be the case even in secondary, where, yes, you may be a sort of greater subject expert, but there will be areas in it that you're not as comfortable with. And, and you can still develop the modelling. I know that's something that I need to work on as well, um, is, is how I model things, because I can sometimes just, oh, here it is, off you go, and you think, the kids don't have a clue what's going on. So that is something I'm working on myself. And I wanted to also touch back to something you said earlier about not being worried about timings, because this is something I am absolutely paranoid about at the moment, because I know it is one of my greatest weaknesses as a teacher is the pacing aspect of my lessons it is ensuring that I get through the material that I have planned and sometimes the best laid lesson plans just go out the window when something happens and you know it's, it's just hard to follow and or I go off on a tangent because it's something that's interesting me interested me but what you said earlier was really useful because actually when you've set in those expectations Actually, sometimes, yes, it may take you a bit longer. No, you may not get through all that planned material. But if I'm sit- if I'm standing there waiting for quiet or and, I, and I'm sort of thinking I need to move on and I can feel the seconds and the minutes ticking by um, and I'm not going to get through my material, but actually it's, it's like that short-term pain, isn't it, of a long-term gain in that respect, thinking about, yeah, I've, I'm going to get this class really under control and that is going to make my lesson pacing much better going forward uh, so no it's lots of really good stuff that you said there and um i did ask i did ask some of the other trainees that i know any if they had any questions for you and i did get some really interesting uh, interesting ones both from primary and secondary trainees and one of them asked should trainees sort of function as teaching assistants when they're observing perhaps helping out um should they if, if a student has the hand up, can the trainee maybe sort of help out too? And that I think I feel like this is going to vary a lot between different teachers and what they like. But what what's your view on that? Should trainees sort of try and be invisible or present? Um, I definitely think that you that trainees shouldn't be invisible because I think sometimes you might be observing the teacher who's your mentor who's in the classroom with you all the time, and you might be a bit more comfortable with them, so you might feel a bit more confident to go and you know interject. Um, in some cases, you might be sent to go and observe another teacher who you don't really know very well. But I think what often happens is the majority of times, say, I've been observed as a teacher. Um, I've not had an additional adult in the room. So when I had like my observations, like, you know, my NQT year and, and thereafter, um, I I only ha- recall one in like my first two years of teaching where... I got observed and the there was another adult in the room as like a teaching assistant plus the observer all the other times just me being me and the observer and actually I've been as I've always had observers who've then helped out in lessons or sat with certain children and I think sometimes when you go into to observe a lesson and especially if it's a teacher that you don't usually 
work with um ask where do you want me to sit do you want me to sit with any particular children do you want me to sit by a certain desk? it might be that they've got a really chatty group at the back and oh could you sit with them and just help in between the like observations just keep like that you or notes you're making could you just keep them you know like refocus them kind of thing or there might be a group of children who are not chatty at all or a group of students who argue during discussions or group work you know and i think it's it's definitely something you shouldn't be um you shouldn't be invisible and i've always when i've been gone in as now that i've now been like a middle leader in a school or or when i've mentored a student like i've always made sure that i help as a teaching assistant so even if it's not my class i would go and sit and 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 with a group of children or rotate around groups of children so definitely not don't uh, remain invisible definitely get involved uh, yeah we're really good and i think you know almost being it, it does change the dynamic in the room doesn't it if there's another adult in the room irrespective of who they are even if they're trying to remain invisible the students still know that you're there so mm, is, yeah. there is going to be a dynamic change isn't there and yeah and there's no point in trying to pretend there isn't so um but so some of some trainees i know have been asked to do things like um photocopying or picking up some printing and that sort of thing is that something that is expected of a trainee should they be expected to actually do those sorts of tasks um or you know should they be speaking up about that I think it's definitely something that people should be doing. I think it's one of those things where, you know, everyone should be contributing slightly. And I think one of the things as trainees, you you often, I mean, we I was encouraged to do when I was training is when you go into a school is, you know, and you've once you've done all your jobs, offer to help out or, or, you know, when you first arrive at a school and you're not actually teaching, anything I can do to help you. And if that is just, you know, trimming something or photocopying something, then go and do it. If you're constantly being used more of like a, an admin assistant than than a you know than a than a trainee teacher, then that's a bit different. Then, um, like if you feel that you're doing it overly, um, and often what you will find is, as you pick up more teaching and your mentor is therefore not teaching, they will then do like return the favour if you like. Um, I know it's something that happened to me and something that I would would do for for a trainee I had. Um, so it's about having that balance, but it's not something that is beneath you as a trainee, but also it's not something you should be doing all of the time. Yeah, a balance, isn't it? And um, yeah, that's a good answer. And I think, no, you, teachers are busy. And sometimes I, I know sometimes there are days where you just think, oh, my goodness, I've forgotten to do this photocopying and I've got this lesson in five minutes. And I have had people who've offered, oh, don't worry, I've got a PPA period now. I'll, I'll bring it over to you. And you think, oh, that's that's really helpful, <laughs> and that's um, that's just yeah. really saved me a saved me a bit of panic there. And so I think, yeah, we do need to help each other out, don't we? But it's it's as you say, if it's becoming a if it's becoming a routine thing where you're becoming just the guy who photo or the girl who photocopies or whatever, then yeah, maybe that that maybe that's less acceptable. And you need to sort of just say something there. But um, yeah, so it's it's um one one of the other things i wanted to ask and this this doesn't come from me but comes from somebody else who wanted me to ask this on the show is um when they've been asked as a as somebody's observing an experienced teacher did they have any feedback for that teacher and they found that in one respect they found that really good because that teacher was open to feedback from a trainee and that was nice to see but also they felt quite uncomfortable in that they didn't really know what to say because they didn't want to criticize another teacher's practice or um or, or think that if they just laid on the praise that this was the best lesson ever that it'd be quite disingenuous 
So how would you approach, if you're in the trainee's um, shoes, actually having that communication with a more experienced teacher? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's really refreshing that people do ask for feedback and it's obviously something that's really good that that people do. Um, I think one thing is um, in terms of whenever doing an observation and I know it's really easy as a trainee teacher to, especially when you see a really, really good teacher teaching, that you, you sit there with your notebook and you write everything they do down and you write everything they do down and you're like, I'm going to implement everything they do in my next lesson and, and that kind of thing. And you see like these children, particularly when you're working in a primary school with particularly younger children and you see them like in awe of their teacher. Um, I think what you should be doing is when you go into an observation is looking at one area, one particular thing. Um, I know it's a bit different when you get observed, that you get observed on everything. Um, but when you're, say, being more informally observed, if you like, aka when you're teaching and your mentor is in the room, is ask them, like, in this lesson, could you really watch how I assess the children or question the children and then give me some feedback? So I think when you go, go in and watch a teacher, you should have something in mind that you want to go and observe and get out of that, that lesson. So if it's, for example, I'm thinking of a primary school here, I'm going to go, I don't know anything about phonics and teaching children how to read, so I'm going to go and watch the phonics leader um, and see what he or she does. And the, the what you can then do is then say, when you're asked, if you're asked that question, oh, what did you think of my lesson? You can comment specifically on that. And also not just narrate narrate the positives and also something you think, oh, I might have done that a little bit differently. And it doesn't mean that you're saying to that teacher, oh, you've done that wrong because actually you're more inexperienced than them anyway. You're actually saying, oh, that's something I would naturally do more differently. So, it, you know, it, it's really nice that you've been asked and obviously make sure that you always say thank you for letting them observe you, whether that be verbally or following up with an email. It's always really important that you thank them for their time. But um, definitely it's great that they've asked you for that feedback. But if you if you're really honing in that observation and just going to observe one thing that would should hopefully make it a lot easier. No, really good, really good advice. And I think, um, yeah, thinking about actually just focusing on one thing, because I, I, I know when you first start out, that, like you said, the temptation is to write absolutely everything down. And you end up with this absolute wall of notes that's not really very useful in terms of when you come back to look at it, because it's just disjointed. Um, and, and yeah, trying to focus on that one thing. Would you tell the teacher in advance that that is the thing that you're going to specifically look out for in that lesson? Yeah, I think there's one thing that... I did when I had my student last year is when she first started I said what do you want to get out of this placement what do you really want to see what do you want me to look out for and um, so that I can plan things like observations for you so and just like when I joined my new school and I was at the end of my second like ECT year um, my mentor there would say well what do you want to see and then I will pick out who I know is the best or most confident in those areas so for example for me it was adaptive teaching so I said how do you uh, like inclusion adaptive teaching who would you go and recommend um, and observe someone else joined at the same time who was an ECT and hers was behavior she wanted to see behavior um, and they recommended to her two of my year six colleagues who I could vouch for that they were brilliant at managing behavior so it's probably best if you said to your mentor right I want to see this um 
who would you suggest going to see? They suggest someone and then you can say to that person, oh yeah, I'm really looking for this in that lesson. And actually then you'll probably find that the teacher will, will specifically overemphasize and model those areas or will have that discussion with you in the lesson. Some of the best people when they are being observed will interact with that observer and say, this is what I'm doing. Um, whether that be an observation for your development, whether that be an observation for a performance management. Um, so if I think to my current school, I went to observe the phonics leader teaching and it wasn't that I needed it really. It was just that I hadn't really taught phonics. Well, I haven't taught phonics ever since I've been a qualified teacher. I've taught it as a trainee teacher, not as uh, not as a qualified teacher. And I observed the phonics leader who was absolutely amazing. He's absolutely amazing teacher. But she would then, when the children were on task or even like in her input as she was giving them an activity, she would talk to me and say, right, this is what I'm doing now. And she would narrate that thing, that that thing that I was looking at for me, which was really, really useful. So yeah, definitely tell the, the person observing what you're looking for and sort of what and, and why you're looking for it as well. Like, why do you want it? It might be that it's an area you're struggling with. It might be like me in that scenario. It's something I just didn't know much about. So I want to just improve my knowledge. Um, but yeah, definitely share that with whoever's observing, you, you're observing. Yeah, and I really like the way you mentioned that actually sometimes that teacher wouldn't rate what they're doing as part of the lesson. You mentioned it earlier as well when when you had somebody doing the maths lesson that you wanted to see how they were modeling and doing the AFL and that sort of thing. And I think um, yeah, it, it, that's a really good point because quite a lot of what happens in the classroom is is kind of invisible. It's it's those little micro gestures or movements or the teachers just, um, you know, they, they're glancing at a student who may just be losing their focus. And that's not necessarily going to be obvious to you as a trainee when you're new to it. And so actually having that chance to follow up with the teacher and, maybe they can fill in some of the blanks that you didn't notice during your observation is going to be really powerful. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So uh, we're going to take uh, just a quick break here while we hear from our sponsors. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen Adapt to protect their careers. Subscribe at adapt.org.uk today. Adapt. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. Welcome back to the show. We've been talking today about classroom observations, particularly for trainee teachers and how they can get the most out of observing other teachers, but also being observed by more experienced teachers. We've been looking at... Um, establishing those routines and expectations with new classes, how we can start to incorporate more creativity and a bit of autonomy as well as we start to take over lessons. I've been thinking about modelling and how we can sort of trying to focus in on specific aspects of classroom practice with more experienced teachers. Now, I've got a question for Ben that is perhaps going to be quite a controversial one. And this question comes from a science trainee. 
And he said to me that he's sometimes spotted in, in some classes, the teacher he's been observing has said something wrong. So something wrong with the science. And for him as a physics specialist, perhaps that other teacher was a biology specialist or something. How that's now that's going to be a really tricky thing to navigate. So I was just interested to see how you would navigate that if you as a trainee have actually seen a teacher teach something wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really interesting one. And, and hopefully is something that's very uncommon. Um, I think it's quite hard as a trainee that that and in some cases when you are a trainee, there will be some things that you see. Not I'm not just talking about, say, this. There might be some elements of practice that you don't agree with. There might it might be that you end up actually training in a school that, you know, isn't the right school for you and isn't the right fit and you might not like it there. And, and you know, that that's very difficult. What you have to remember is when you become a qualified teacher is you get to, you know, apply to where you want to and sort of choose where where to work in, or, in a way. Um, I think it's one of something that should be addressed like privately. So maybe you, you might want to address it with that, that teacher. You might want to address it with your mentor, but not in a way where that other person's going to get into trouble. It, like you said, it could be that, say, in fact, for a science, yeah, if they're a biology specialist and they're teaching physics, it's just like, you know, my... my um, my background and specialism, if you like, is humanities. So, you know, I know that I'm very good at geography, for example, um, at a primary level, not at a secondary level or like A level. Um, but that if I was to observe another teacher teaching, I wouldn't necessarily, and as, as now a qualified teacher, even now I probably wouldn't address it in front of a whole class, unless it's something I think would, that would be very detrimental to those children. I would probably take the teacher to one side as the children are starting to be like, oh, let me tell you about this kind of thing. Um, but, but it's definitely something that, that is worth raising because it could be a really integral part um, of, of learning for those children as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, d- doing it privately where, where possible and, and, and actually just be sensitive about it. And I think, you know, you mentioned humanities. I mean, I'm doing geography and, but I do know I've got a science background. My degree is in geology and marine biology. So there are some aspects of geography that I haven't really studied since I was 16. <laughs> and I do appreciate there are some gaps in my knowledge that, that I am less comfortable with. And I, I personally would want somebody to tell me if I'm doing something wrong, although I hope I wouldn't because I'd have prepared and studied the material if there's anything I was a little bit uncomfortable with before but also equally I'm thinking actually there are some cases where I might choose to simplify or um, not not dumb down but yes simplify a concept just to make it more accessible to a class rather than maybe give them all the details because I know I know there are some areas of geography that I'm really comfortable with and I know a lot about and the temptation is to overfill the lesson with tons of detail and all the complexities that that comes with which there are a lot of in geography and and perhaps overwhelmed so sometimes I wonder if actually more experienced teachers do choose just to be um just to give them sort of the basics even if it's not necessarily strictly accurate because maybe they'll take a level in the future and then they'll get the the bigger picture then maybe yeah, potentially. I mean, it might come down to individual teachers' own strengths and subject knowledge. And I think one of the things to do, whether you're a trainee or whether you're a, uh, when you go for your first teaching job or even thereafter, is try and find a school or a department where will find out when you're within there about different people's strengths and areas for development in terms of like 
you know, even within your department and within your subject knowledge, you know, there'll be people that know about certain areas of geography, for example, you let's use the example of geography in your department that you're currently training in. There might be some people who are really interested in like the human aspects of geography and more about like, you know, tourism and things like that. There might be people who are more interested in more physical elements of geography or field work. And, and actually, it's about ascertaining who's who's the best person to go and talk to really so you might find that you're teaching a lesson that you don't know much about you might do a bit of googling or, or whatever um, or do some reading but actually going to have those conversations and I think one thing I have to say was a real strength of um, my last school and not saying it isn't a strength of my current school but in my last school which was a very small teaching team as there was only one class per year group compared to now I'm in a school where there's three classes per year group um the head teacher you could tell had recruited really well in terms of complementary areas of strength and development in terms of subject knowledge. So you've got myself, who was more of a humanities person. We'd got someone who'd got a languages degree and could, was fluent in French and Spanish, and she was our French lead. We'd got someone who'd got a drama degree, so she was more like performing arts. We'd got someone else who was more like, you know, science and more of an engineering background, someone more math, someone who was just really creative and really like things like DT and art. You know, so if you can find that, which hopefully most head teachers will do, then that would be really beneficial for not just trainees, but, you know, everyone in the school, even those teachers who've got, you know, 20 plus years experience. Uh, no, all really good. And I think, you know, something you mentioned is actually eventually trainees will be looking for jobs. They will be, um, and some may be looking for now, uh, looking for jobs now and keeping an eye out, even though it's still really early on in the year. But it, I, I, I do know last year when I was training, some of um, the people in my cohort had jobs lined up by November. You know, so really early on that they these were starting to be advertised. And I think it's really interesting to think actually going into other schools and observing how things are done in other schools, not necessarily even with a job interview, um, or or sort of looking looking to get a job interview in the future, but just as as part of your general CPD, is actually going to be really interesting to think about that. And that does sort of lead me on to a question. Secondary trainees need to do some time in a primary school. And I can imagine a lot of secondary trainees don't want to do that uh, because they've chosen secondary in, for a reason. They don't want to work with the little kids. How would you... Um, what advice would you give to secondary trainees coming in to working um, for a, a day or a week or however long it is on their programme with a year six class or any other classes within the primary school? I think it's just about, I think it, it's a really useful thing. Like I never had that experience of going say to a secondary school or like working in early years or anything as part of my training. So I think the fact that people have that is actually a real benefit because particularly if you do get the chance to work, we say, children in upper key stage two who will soon be a, a, a feeder secondary school. Um, it's really good to be able to have that time to see, well, what do the teachers do with them? What what elements of the curriculum? And, and often I think people are quite impressed with, you know, the level that we cover things in primary and what we cover in primary compared to, you know, years ago when it wasn't as probably ambitious um, in the old national curriculum. Of course, there's always going to be that argument there about things that are on the curriculum and should be they be on there and, and so on. But I think one thing is just remembering that the children that you currently teach as a secondary trainee teacher were the people you're now currently around in that primary setting a couple of years ago. So they've all come from the same place that just use that 
use that opportunity to learn um, and just remember that actually the teachers will teach think they'll be using modeling techniques that probably are using in secondary school i think one thing that is a real eye-opener particularly in my last school was some of the things that we were doing um so one of the areas i led on in my previous school was um looking at how we improved the use of things like retrieval practice and low stakes quizzing um, across the foundation subjects and within science and some of the things that our teachers were using were actually techniques and activities and strategies that were also used in the secondary phase. So actually there might be some things that you can pick up there as well and see what they're doing and then take it back to your to to what your current where you currently are training as well. No, it's really good because I, I before I started my teacher training, I worked as a teaching assistant in a primary school and I absolutely loved it. And I was mostly working with a year six class. Um, but there were times when the school asked me, oh, could you go and work in early years? And I'm thinking, oh, I can't, I can't stand the idea of working with um, four-year-olds or five-year-olds. But actually, I found that was some of the most rewarding, um, that was some of the most rewarding experience I've ever had, was working in an early year setting, seeing how these teachers actually taught the fundamentals of speech and language and writing I'm thinking, actually, there's an awful lot there that I can now take into secondary when I'm introducing complex concepts that students need to learn. And actually, it's a really big step up for them. I'm thinking, well, actually, these students had to learn to write. And you mentioned phonics as well. You know, seeing how phonics practice worked, this is a revelation for me. And I've got a huge level of respect for the teachers who who introduced these things. And absolutely, with the modelling. I feel that there's a lot that I've taken out of having worked as a teaching assistant in primary that I'm now bringing into my secondary practice. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I think that's why, like I said last year, when I was doing the the cover role across the school, like it does really open your eyes when you go and see other, you know, year groups and teachers and, and, and it really challenges you, but you'll often find that you do your best learning. But yeah, if you go that for, for even further down the school and you see that fundamentals of, you know, just how the teachers in reception teach children the routines, you know, like walking to assembly, <laughs> walking, you know, you know, all those, that developing of independence, it's really like, inspiring in a way because and I think people who haven't done like early years or year one for example they that you sort of have a newfound respect for those people when you when you do it just like I think that actually primary have a profound respect for secondary and secondary probably have a profound respect for primary as, uh, as well yeah and that, and that something you mentioned there is actually things like routines of walking to assembly and I think the whole in observations we're not just observing a classroom but we're observing the school as a whole and and actually that's that's going to be another thing to think about you know observing teachers when they're on duty in the playground or as you say walking to assembly or doing other things outside of the classroom and that's that's something else that um that that we do need to sort of be thinking about actually those routines and i know in secondary some of some of these times i think um you think oh they've got these children and they don't know these they don't know these routines they don't have this independence but they did in primary school because they've been they they've been taught it, and you think why why have they lost some of that resilience or independence moving up into secondary, and perhaps actually we need to be maybe have a little bit more cross pollination between the two between these phases, so we can actually just transition students better. And I know the transitions uh, are becoming there's more sort of transition days and that sort of thing now, which is really good to see. But 
Yeah, there's a lot of food for thought there, I think. I'm sort of thinking out loud now. But no, absolutely. I think more more, more sort of cross-pollination we can have, the better. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like like you said, it's really interesting that when you're going in to observe a lesson, you're actually observing, yeah, like how a school functions. And I think one thing you have to remember is when, you know, senior leaders or middle leaders even are going in to observe actually they're not often like really honing in on a teacher obviously yes there is an element of that for teacher development and performance management but often it's for monitoring of well have we implemented this initiative well enough so the one for me was um like i said one of the areas i led in my my, uh, previous school was retrieval practice and low stakes quizzing and I'd done some CPD on it at the beginning of September and said, I, and it was actually something I've trialled in my class that the head teacher had noticed and thought, oh, that's worked really well. But it's not, that's not happening in the other year groups. Let's sort of implement it. And um, it worked really well. And the teachers found that actually what they said was because it was something that a teacher had trialled in their own classroom that worked, they were really confident in implementing it in their classroom. And then my role as an observer then was actually has my it was more so on me was my training effective was the support i've given staff effective rather than actually saying to the staff you did a bit of a rubbish job there not that i would say that to anyone anyway you did a rubbish job there of, of, of implementing that um and i think that's this and I, I think the same i was a, a humanities lead in a primary school i was looking at history teaching i was more so looking at well is the history curriculum that i've that well, no, well i hadn't written it but that the head teacher had written had that has that been implemented effectively and what was i going to do so it, i know it, it it doesn't help that it i know it does put stress stre- sometimes stress and strain on teachers but actually observations and hopefully the people listening to this or who listen back to this will see that the most observations are one of the most or learning walks or drop-ins I think drop-ins are probably a bit more effective than observations but they're the most one of the most you know helpful developmental processes for yourself and often for a school as well it's it is quite hard and, and I know there's a lot of you know talk about are they effective or not and which forms of monitoring are best and actually yes it does put stress on people you know but actually they're very beneficial as well for you. And I think that's one thing as a trainee teacher that people should really make the most of is that other person in the room, that teacher in the room. It is your opportunity to take risks and they might not work, but it's okay. Whereas it's better, it's a bit bit harder when you're the only person in the room, when you're a qualified teacher and you don't have that person you can ask for their thoughts or all bounce off as well. How, how do you manage that stress when you have a learning walk or something like that or somebody's just dropped in unexpectedly to your lesson? I think it's about it, it. It's a. I think it's a bit different. If you know it's going to happen, <laughs> um, the stress might build up. Sometimes, if it if it just happens that they drop it, if people drop in, then you know it just all of a sudden might come on. Um, I think the one thing is to remember actually. The best thing to do is after you've had that observation is to go and own your feedback. So go and ask because some people don't go and ask. If you're having a formal observation, say if it's part of your trainee teach program or your ect years you you're going to expect that feedback to be written but also to be fed back to you whereas if it's just more informal um people might um so for example like in my in my new school one thing that the slt do every september is they do a really informal learning walk um, across the school sort of at the end of september where they'll look at the learning environments 
they'll look at the transition of children, they'll look at routines and they'll look at how well the children have, have settled in. Um, and they used to do that in my previous school as well, except it was a, a little bit earlier. It was sort of the, the end of the second week um, in September. Um, and I would always, I went to go and ask for feedback. And as I was actually going to ask for feedback, the, the member of SLT that came into my room was actually coming to me to, to feedback. But I was showing them that I'd sort of own, I was taking ownership there. And I think if some cases, if you can reflect on that lesson and think, well, what went well, what didn't go well, you can actually then start the conversation. Sometimes the best observers will say, first, how did you feel it went? What are you thinking? And that's usually when trainees are really hard on themselves and say, it went absolutely <laughs> awful, it's rubbish, I'm a rubbish teacher, blah, blah, blah. Um, whereas I think that's more effective, whereas if sometimes a, le a leader or an observer can go in and just start listing bullet points to you, is then to um, to then... But it's not as as helpful. Um, but you've also got to remember, even when you're a qualified teacher, you're never going to be the finished article. And actually, every little bit of feedback is a little bit of something that's going to help make you an even better teacher than you were yesterday. So I think that's a way of thinking about it. Yeah, I think you said own your own your feedback, and I think sometimes there's a tendency to become a bit defensive, isn't there? I mean, teaching is one of those jobs where you put a lot of yourself into it. You've done a lot of planning. You're you're up there. You're quite vulnerable in many respects, being in front of a class, and then for somebody to come in and they're going to, you know, they're going to criticise your your classroom practice. But actually, actually, we need to we need to be open to that feedback because, as you say, none of us are the finished article. Whether we're trainees or whether we're thirty years into the job, there's always going to be something to learn and to develop from and actually that's that's going to be really important not to be defensive and actually to be open to uh, open to that feedback yeah definitely and i think also it's about that when you do have some really really good feedback is celebrate it like you know i don't know what you're going to do but that night go and get yourself a takeaway go to the pub or you know go to the cinema or whatever but equally, if it isn't the best feedback that, that you got, don't sit at home and, you know, dwell on it too much. Like, just think that tomorrow's a new day and you're going to do something, you might do something a little bit different. And I think that's that's really important that it's really easy to dwell, to go and sit in your classroom, maybe have a cry, maybe whatever you do. And in some cases, you do need to talk about it. You might have had an or a really rubbish lesson that you feel even if it wasn't one that was observed just one that you felt that didn't go very well but actually finding someone to talk it through whether that be your mentor whether it just be the person in the school or the department that you get on the best with whether it be a family or friend or a partner at home like find someone to talk it through it, I think it's really important to do that I mean you said earlier like when 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 a teacher says how do you think that went for me as a trainee my brain just goes oh gosh, what what's the right answer to this? Because I'm trying to anticipate what they're going to say. And I think, well, if I think it went really well, and then they say, oh, well, it wasn't actually, it was X, Y, Z, that was all rubbish. And then you think, um, I'd say, oh, no, I don't want to say that. But if I thought it was, if I, if I thought it was terrible, then it's going to make me sound like an absolute misery guts. And yeah, it, it's tricky, isn't it? It's, um, I've, I do find that a really difficult question to answer. But equally, I think, you know, I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times um, on the show today. I had this lesson at period six last week, and um, it, it just didn't go very well. And 
and I'm sort of conscious that that's almost coming to define my entire week was this one 55 minute lesson that was not the best. And I'm thinking, actually, I'm going to look at my exercise book that I've got that teachers have been observing, plus writing informal notes in. And actually, there's a lot of positive stuff in there. And I can see that I'm making progress. I can see that teachers are saying, you know, that lesson was so much snappier than the one you did the week before. You know, you're getting really, you're building up that pace. And, you know, the students are really starting to sort of like you and develop that relationship and they're responding and you've got good subject knowledge. I think actually there was a lot of positive things there and I need to not remember to dwell upon that, that negative. But equally, I obviously need to think about it, reflect upon it. And what am I going to do better? But just try and celebrate the wins and reflect upon the, the things that need to be worked on yeah definitely I, I totally agree and it's really good that you've done that because i think it is it, it, like you said it's really easy to to dwell and i think just like it's really you you'll find a way of of like ref, re- reflecting and 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 that your own way so your way then was looking in the exercise book where people put the informal notes some people prefer to you know like journal or or to write a blog or, or whatever or to talk and i think whatever you find your outlet of your way of reflection but also of offloading as well is is really important and um yeah to just basically not dwell on it and i know it's really hard because you want the best for the children you want the best to teach you want to do the best like i remember my third and final training placement i did um and it was around the time of covid so we're in our covid bubbles i was in the same school for my second and third placement i did a three-year degree my second placement had got cut short because of um covid and i was invited to go back to this school which initially when i started my teacher training i said i was only going to go i wanted three different schools to go to um but i felt like i hadn't my work was sort of not finished so i went back there and I remember teaching this lesson to this year for this absolutely lovely year five class. And it didn't go very well. It was a, a writing lesson. And I could tell the teacher was a little bit disappointed. And I felt like I'd let her down. And I felt really mm. bad. And like she, and it wasn't, um, it, 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 I don't think, it, I'm not sure if it was one of my formal lesson observations or not, but I can't remember. But I remember then that that afternoon I taught a really good um, science lesson and then the next week I then taught another really good science lesson that was my observed lesson but I equally then the next day taught a really good English lesson and she was really good at praising me saying well look at that English lesson compared to yesterday you've started to act on the feedback which is brilliant and I think if you've got that mentor as well that is really encouraging of you or that senior mentor or induction tutor or whoever whichever members of staff are, are around you supporting you maybe your head of department like as long as you've got that as well hopefully they will be the people to, to boost you up as well as well as boosting yourself and actually saying do you know what I did a really good job at that and I'm going to go and celebrate this weekend by doing this for example. Yeah, really good. And I think, you know, we do have to act upon that feedback. And I think one of the things I want to ask you about, we've only got a few minutes left of the show, um, but when when teachers are just starting out teaching, there is, of course, going to be an awful lot of things that need to be worked on. But there will still be positives too, but there's going to be a lot that needs to be worked on. So for you as somebody, a mentor who's observing trainees, how do you prioritise what is the most important thing for a trainee to be working on within their first few weeks? And then perhaps after half term, how are we going to sort of dig a bit deeper into their development? I think it's really important to um, 
that as a mentor, you've hopefully been appointed by the senior leadership team to to have a student because you're very good at, you know, giving feedback and developing others and coaching in some cases, not just mentoring, rather than that you've just been given a student because we need someone to have that student kind of thing. So hopefully, like you, you're someone who 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 can can is as a mentor that can do that. And I think what it is it in terms of when you have your very first observation, I think that is a real eye-opener for, for the mentor because actually it's the first time they've seen you properly teach a full lesson and they can really ascertain, well, what are your strengths and what are your areas for development and what is going to be the next le- lever that will make the biggest impact because there might be, if you're on your very first training place and your very, very first observation, there's going to be a whole list of things you could improve on, you know, but the best mentors will pick one thing, the one thing that is going to make the impact. Often it probably will be related to behaviour. So for example, like when I was in my first training placement, I got observed, I was always told that behaviour management was a real strength of mine um, whilst I was training. And, but one thing I wasn't as good at in terms of behaviour was actually praising children. I was very good at actually managing negative behaviour, low level disruption, but I wasn't as strong at rewarding children and that was something that I had to then really make sure I included within my practice so I think it's really important that that mentors are aware of that and if you think in terms of like the ECF and the ITT framework behavior is one in terms of the ECF behavior and most of the providers is the first area you will cover in both year one and year two so often it probably will be something relating to behavior and it is really important that you do get obviously get that area right to then be really successful in the rest of rest of your areas. But also it's then putting the ownership as you become more experienced as a trainee and then as a teacher saying, well, what do you want to work on? What do you think you need to work on? What do you really want to achieve? It might be that you're really struggling with your behaviour management and that's okay to admit. Actually, I really struggled with behaviour management when I first started as a qualified teacher after having three placements where my behaviour management was always graded really highly. So, and that was a really hard thing for me to, 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 to admit. But then also there was other areas that I was probably weaker on in my uh, teacher training that I then became really stronger. So it's going to be this constant learning curve, but it's ultimately that, that a mentor can identify what is going to make the most impact on that teacher to then have the most impact on the students that they're teaching. No, really good answer. And I think um, that ties in really nicely with what you were saying right at the beginning of this show, because what, what's the priority for us as trainees when we're observing other teachers at this time of year? It's establishing those routines, those expectations, and that's, that's going to feed into the behaviour that's probably the thing that most trainees are going to be most nervous about. And, and, and the thing that is probably, arguably, one of the hardest things to develop because it is such a dynamic practice that you constantly have to be having to think on your feet and adapt to changing situations. Um, we're just going to take a quick break now while we hear from our sponsors. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes EDAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check, 
or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. Okay, just as we come into the last few minutes of the show, um, we've been talking about how... Um, what what mentors are looking from from trainees within the first few weeks and how trainees can sort of prioritize different aspects of their development and i think one of the things that i i i remember when i was in school and you get a piece of marking back from a teacher and you look at your work and it is just covered in red pen and you think where on earth am i supposed to start in digesting this and you think there's just too much here I don't care because it's clearly a rubbish piece of work that 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 there's no point there's nothing there's no way for me to develop because I'm rubbish at this subject and I've had I have to admit I've had lessons like that where I've had a teacher observe me and I've had I've had some written notes I've had some verbal feedback and there's just been so much in it and I can't easily digest all of this information I'm thinking I'm I'm just trying to think what is the main like common thread in this that's the thing I need to work on. So, Ben, I was just wondering, how, how would you try and pick out, if, if, if this is the case, perhaps it's not somebody who is a mentor, it's somebody else who perhaps doesn't have as much experience working with trainees and, and perhaps a little bit overwhelming with the feedback, particularly early on in the course. How would you pick out the most important things to focus on? I think um, that's a really good question. I think what you should do is maybe if you see that there's a certain thing that keeps being mentioned in that feedback then maybe that's the area um it might be that you go and actually say to that person who's observed you if it is your mentor that actually isn't as experienced or they've given you all of these things to do you then go and say to them could you help me decide what my next step is hopefully all observations for trainees come with next steps in terms of what people what they should address um, and then if you still feel like you don't know is actually you should have a senior member of staff who oversees all aspects of early career, whether that be, it might not, they might not oversee everything, but you, you should have some, a senior leader who oversees, you know, initial teacher training and ITE students um, and speak to them or speak to your, you know, your tutor, your link tutor or your lecturer, your provider, because ultimately if you don't know where to go, then you're not going to go anywhere ultimately so you need that really explicitly clear to you so you know what to work on so yeah just ask um and you know keep asking like i said keep asking up if you if you're not sure hmm no yeah it, it yeah communication i think um sometimes it's sometimes just speaking to my mentor um has been really helpful for that and thinking about actually i, I just need to and, and i think at one occasion actually my mentor said don't worry about it because there is don't worry about it just focus on the thing that as you say has been repeated and and in my case that's quite often it's been the the pacing aspect of my lessons and and trying to focus on that because actually if you can focus on that main thing that's been the that been the main common thread actually that's probably going to improve other aspects of the lesson whether it's behavior whether it's um, adaptive teaching um, and inclusion um, just, just if I can improve that that main thing, that is probably the biggest weakness. Um, so, one of the things I've been encouraged to do on on my PGCE course 
is to reflect upon each lesson that I teach. And so what I've been doing, and in my case, I've got an exercise book that's just got informal observations in, and, and this isn't going to be shared with anyone. This is just for me. I've just been writing a few sentences or paragraphs about my, a reflection on that lesson. What, how would you advise students actually go about reflecting, student teachers that is, reflecting upon um, their feedback and just digesting it? We, we talked about celebrating wins and, um, and that sort of thing, but actually just, just making sense of it all. I think sometimes it's best to reflect not af straight after the lesson um, in case if you think it's, you know, if you think it, particularly if it's you think it's not gone as well, it's not always helpful to do it straight after. Equally, you might think it's gone really well. Then you go to Mark a Child's book or children's books and you can see actually they haven't got it at all. Sometimes it's best done like a couple of hours after or at the end of the day or during, you know, uh, non-contact time but that you make sure you reflect. I mean, one thing that I always used to do is I would write on my planning. So if, if I know not all schools require you to, to, you know, provide written planning, but actually like just annotating on anything that went really well and or next steps. And I'm not talking about like a full on essay, but as in like anything that went really well, or just a highlighter and highlight what, what went really well, what didn't work well what resource worked really well for certain children and then thinking about using it again. I mean, I also, as part of my teacher training, had to do like a weekly reflective journal, which I know can be quite common on, on teacher training, but obviously that is shared with people. But yeah, it's just about finding whatever works for you, whether it be through talking, whether it be through writing or typing or whatever, find a way to do it. I think it's really important that you do do it in some form and that you don't put it off, like, because otherwise... If you're not as reflective you and, and people have to tell you what you need to work on, it's quite hard when you're on that in that classroom then on your own. I think, and I think one of the things you said there that was really useful is maybe don't do it straight away. Because um, mm. I think, yeah, I think it's, you've almost got that adrenaline high, don't you? As you come out of a lesson, irrespective of how it went, you, you're, you've sort of got heightened, um, you sort of heightened hormones or whatever, your brain's racing and... Um, Actually, sometimes it takes a bit of time to reflect upon it. Um, once you've got a bit of distance from that lesson, actually, could be a little bit more objective, a little bit more objective in how you view it. Yeah, definitely. So, we've we've talked about an awful lot of things today. We talked about how trainees can get the most out of observing other teachers, uh, watching specific areas of practice, whether it's in their modelling or in their behaviour management in how they establish routines and also how about how trainee teachers can respond to feedback from um, more experienced practitioners and what actually those mentors are looking for in their in sort of priority lists. Is there anything in particular just in terms of a logistics aspect that you would do to um, lay things out? Because I, I find one of the things that I, I've tried to do is I've got this book and yes, I'm looking at timings, but I'm, I'm now or something like that or I've actually drawn a map of the classroom and I've I've sort of mapped out where the teacher has walked over the course of the lessons but I do, I do find just organizing all of this information quite complicated and actually making it useful long term otherwise I'm just writing stuff down not doing anything with it so how, how would you go about doing that? I mean, I personally, in terms of observation for my own development, have like a notebook that I would just, uh, just a small A5 notebook that I write it in. Um, 
I then would either highlight on there from the notes the key things that I want to take away or write them like separately at the bottom. Obviously, if you're having this conversation with a mentor, they might encourage you to then say, you know, oh, well, what did you what did you get out of that um, observation? Like, what are you going to take forward kind of thing? Um, but I think, yeah, you either way you find it, you probably find that, say, for example, it's a bit different now that I've observed teachers in terms of for monitoring purposes from a leadership perspective, because I then might record that a little bit more formally or have a, fo a, a Word document form I'm going to record it on. So it's also, it's about finding the way that works for you. Um, and you might find a slightly different way as well. Whatever works for you, as long as you're able to pick out the key threads, then that's the main thing, I think. Uh, thank you, Ben. It's, it's been a really interesting conversation with you. Um, there's an awful lot here that, that I need to digest, and maybe I'll go and reflect upon this later on today, just after I've got a little bit distance and I can objectively focus on all this. I really appreciate your time today and everything that you've shared, all your experience, and, and I really like that you've shared your experiences as a, as a trainee and as an NQT or ECT, because it just helps me to remember that actually my mentor at one point was in my shoes and and that's going to be true for every single teacher and and so i do appreciate that and that's just really empathetic i think um is there anything else you'd just like to share just as in the closing minute or so of the show nothing nothing really just to say thank you to you sam for letting me um put for on on your show but also to a huge good luck to every, all the trainees and early career teachers out there it is incredibly hard not just for those of you early in your career like it is it's it's hard for for a lot of us in terms of education um but just keep keep going you know every step is a, is a step in the right direction uh, yeah it's a really good note to end on so yeah it, it is a demanding year but it is re rewarding and actually the whole purpose of these classroom observations that we've been talking about is taking those steps forward Thank you so much, Ben. I really appreciate you giving up your time on a Saturday to talk to me. Um, hope you have a nice weekend. What, what, Thank, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <Take> Sorry. <care. laughs> Sorry. Take care. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.